Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs, your favorite VW podcast. Just wanted to mention, coming up this March, we've got the Las Vegas VW Club March Meet. That'll be taking place at Sunset Park on March 2nd, and it'll be 20 bucks a car to get in. Spectators are free, but if you guys want a good time, check out some cool cars here in Las Vegas. It's guaranteed to be a good time, so make sure you make it down to Las Vegas VW Club's March Meet happening at Sunset Park here in Las Vegas. Today's podcast is going to be with Kevin Zagger with Cool Rides Customs. In this podcast, we learn a lot about the technology and development that's gone behind a lot of his products. It's a pretty interesting listen. I learned a lot and uh, maybe even purchased a shifter myself. So take a listen to the podcast and give me some feedback. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes or wherever you're getting it from, even Google Play and all that. Make sure you subscribe, uh, leave reviews. Also, subscribe to our YouTube page at Let's Talk Dubs on YouTube. So, enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Dubs. Uh, today my guest is Kevin Zagger with Cool Rides Customs out of San Diego, California. That's right. And uh, we've got him here in the studio today. He happened to be here in Las Vegas. And uh, so I snagged him for uh, impromptu in-studio slash garage podcast. So uh, Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, so... Um, I typically start this out with kind of getting your history as to how you kind of got into how you ended up getting into Volkswagens. Okay, how'd you get into Volkswagens? Well, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, talking to you earlier, telling you about '65 Vols 442. I wasn't a Volkswagen guy. I drove by a few of my friends had them. Uh, you know, one of my buddies had a '59 Vert that we used to take up to the midnight drags, and he'd smoke anything from the quarter mile. It was great. Uh, Potter engine and the thing, good stuff. But uh, another friend of mine had a uh, 61 bug hard top and you know i'd go up there with those guys but hey v8 power you, you know a lot better than a four-cylinder now you think yeah, well i thought <laughs> i thought i was i was converted afterwards and uh we used to go up there and run all the time good times but uh good friend of mine in high school blew his motor up on his cow bug 71 super beetle hard top yeah rivieras you know fun little car but uh blew his motor up and uh didn't have anybody to help him since I had built motors. He asked me if I could help him out with it. And I said, you know, reluctantly said, sure, what the hell? And uh, pulling that motor out was a lot easier than doing a cherry picker with a big V8. You know, third of the weight and uh, way easier, a lot more parts, inexpensive. We built, we built a uh, 1776 was the motor. And uh, it was just so much more fun to build than those big V8s. And yeah. uh, we built it up. And the car sat in the garage, and he disappeared right before we finished it. Didn't see him for a few months, and uh, he uh, he hit me up. Jesus, uh, probably about three or four months later, he goes, "Hey, I need your address." He called me up on the phone, just out of the blue. I'm like, "What do you need my address for? Come get your damn car. I want it out of my garage. It's taking up garage space, right?" And uh, long story short, he goes, "No, nah, I don't have time to talk. Just give me your address." I give him the address, and the pink slip shows up with a note. It's yours. I. I join the army or navy or something like that and i'm out on westpac and it's yours that car sat there for another six months wow i had no interest of driving the thing yeah tan super beautiful freaking hard top you know i just no way and uh my younger brother uh joseph was watching a uh a snoopy cartoon where he goes over to france or something like that yeah. and snoopy was was driving a uh, or running around with a uh citron 2cv i later found out what it was and uh had this long roof in it, long rag top. And I went, man, that thing's kind of cool. And I sketched out a picture of this beetle. And uh, that actually looks kind of cool. So I went out in the garage, took a razor blade, cut the back window out, ripped the headliner out of the thing, and then used a <laughs> hammer and a screwdriver. And I used just punching dents from the inside so I could see where the inside framework was. And uh, 
got the jig saw out and, and cut the roof out. I'm like, that thing looks kind of cool. And uh, <laughs> so you cut so you cut it all the way open like a full full rollback. All the way back, it was like a rollback. I didn't know what a rollback was back then. I had no idea. I thought you know Citroen two CV was the vehicle. You know, right? So that was the first Beetle, and then I flipped the headlight buckets headlight uh, lenses over because I liked old fat fender cars, and uh, flipped the headlight uh, bezels over. And used about a gallon of Bondo per headlight bezel to bond them in to French them back into the fenders. And I French the license plate and French the uh, the lights. put earlier taillights on it. Didn't want the big tombstones on there. And uh, did all that stuff and drove it up to the taco shop near my house. And, and people were like, oh, wow. You know, I, I spray painted it with Ford engine enamel green, which is like a Gumby green color. The whole car? You, the you, whole you car. painted Gumby green? Yeah, consent. With, with a full rollback. Full rollback, oh, Gumby Green. And one what piece year is this? 71 Super Beetle, and this was back in 86. Wow. Yeah. That's nuts. Even even took put grease on the Riviera wheels on the aluminum parts that I didn't want the paint to stick to and painted those to match the car. So you painted you painted the highlights on the Riviera Green? The, the, the areas Gumby around green. the highlights, yeah. yeah. Gumby Green. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a cool car. So. Wow. So that's 1986. So Gumby yeah. Green's probably a pretty hot, pretty hip color. That was Rivieras one. were pretty cool wheels. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you, can, you kind of got right into it there. So you get your first Volkswagen, and then, and then give me the evolution as to kind of how you go from Super Beetle and then you evolve into, so what's your next kind of... So the Super Beetle had it around for a while, and uh, somebody stole it out of the driveway. And uh, I was kind of bummed about it, but at the same time, I was like, well, you know, it's, that's gone, but I still dig the Beetle. So the next vehicle I bought was a, uh, a 1960 Beetle, because all my friends, all glass taillights, you, you, didn't, you didn't get anything newer than glass taillights. Right. You know, if, if you didn't have 61 earlier, didn't have glass taillights, wasn't cool. So... Right. Picked up a 1960 and uh, proceeded to do the same job to it, but I took it further on this one. I did frameless pop-outs. I did uh, uh, the old Recaro Prelude uh, yeah. leather seats in the front. I put. Uh, I really dug the history between Porsche and Volkswagen by this point, and so I took out the gauges and put in a three-gauge pod that had uh, 356 gauges. I actually bought for 50 bucks at a local junkyard out of the 356 nice. and stuck them in there. Yeah, gutted the tack to make it electric and just took it kind of to another level. Oh, I'll show you some pictures later of his. Well, kind of yeah, well, so we'll put some pictures up on the yeah. on the video on the YouTube channel yeah. so people can kind of check this stuff out. It's, it's always neat to kind of get the back history of how people ended up getting into VWs. Yeah. And so um, I didn't tell you in the introduction, but, uh, well, I told you in the introduction, but Kevin uh, – owns and operates Cool Rides Customs. And so Cool Rides Customs, you started out doing kind of suspension stuff and now you've evolved into a whole bunch more stuff. But but um, how do you get from where you get into VWs and then you transition into, how, how do you eventually get to where you're at? How do we get to the mechanical side of where you're at? Well, it, you know, started out with the, with the cars, always been mechanically inclined. I mean, I was six years old when I snuck a pair of vice grips out from uh, the kitchen went out, hid behind a tree in the in the front yard, and took my training wheels off my bike. You know, oh, wow. so it's always been a mechanically inclined thing for me, and uh, so I did that. And uh, as we did, as I did the second Beetle, I'd always been customizing cars. You know, I can't leave anything stock. You know, I always wanted to put my own twist on it. And uh, yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah, you got you got to do something different, you know. And and uh, so I'd been doing that all through the years, doing some doing all my own cars, going to the classic, going to the. Uh, jamboree back in the day and stuff and had a car club first generation vws so i just started sinking deeper and deeper into this thing but i as a day job i was a mechanic ac certified mechanic and uh, so i was always doing stuff mechanically and i was running a shop for uh the lucy brothers down in san diego yeah it's a high-end european uh repair shop and uh, i was doing my cars on the side and stuff and uh good friend of mine, uh, Ian Kirkland, worked for Mindiola Transaxles. And uh, he had told Mike, Mike wanted to start building cars. And he told Mike that uh, he wanted to build these, you know, Mike wanted to build these Myers Mangsters with a six-cylinder Subi in the back. Right. So that's, this is at the evolution of when, when Mendiola is starting to bring out the full, the full cars, full Mendiola built cars. Correct. Correct. That was the beginning of that. And, and uh, so we put these, uh, put these six cylinders in there, 330 horsepower, 250 foot pounds of torque, and a 1,900 pound car. Yeah. And I'd been racing with a Porsche Club for years. I was a driving instructor. First car I pulled out, I didn't even put my seatbelt on. And as soon as I pulled out and got on the throttle, I pulled over and put my seatbelt on. It was just scary fast. And we did everything we could to the suspension to make it uh, handle 
Right. You can't make a Volkswagen handle. There's just no well, way. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the suspension is pretty adequate. I mean, it's 356 suspension, basically. In that <laughs> correct, thing. correct. Body leans over, suspension leans over. So that's where the suspension came in line. But yeah, my, my evolution really started started with the Volkswagen, the first Volkswagens I built. Right. As a mechanic, I started doing my all my own stuff. I did a 22 window bus back in the day that I miss. Uh, you know, yeah, I always want the racing stripe down the. That was the racing stripe. Yeah, love the, that bus. The, yeah, love that the, bus. The nasty bus. The nasty bus. Actually, the initials on that, my son Nathan that you met earlier, uh, the first three letters. <laughs> I brought that car back from the paint shop yeah. when I found out I was going to have him, and uh, so the first three letters are his initials, Nathan Alexander Zagar, and uh, I had to make it say something, so I put a T after it, and and and. The word bus, making it the nasty bus. So many people thought it was the Nazi, Nazi bus. bus. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. I remember, like, I think everybody remembers looking at it like, is that say Nazi bus on it? Like, it was pretty It was pretty funny back in the day because you look at it and you think, but then when you talk to you, say, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be Nasty bus. And, yeah. and everybody just kind of goes like, oh, that's cool. And then, it, you know, so yeah. there's the evolution of how the Nasty bus, the Nasty bus the came Naz-T around. The Nasty bus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm sure you got a lot of questions on that. You know, it was funny, and I had I had made up these stickers that the, uh, the swastika backwards is actually some type of peace symbol. Right. And so I had made up these stickers for the window of it because it was a drag bus. It was, it was a drag race style bus. And I uh, did it like the old DKP cars back in the day. That was like when I when I started going to the gen, to the classics. When you saw all those DKP cars lined yeah. up, I was like, oh, that was that was the stuff back then. Um, but uh, so I'd done Honda and Toyota and Chevrolet and Ford and everything. I put all of them on there with a backward swastika crossing them out, kind of like on the old bombers how they had the, uh, right. the kills on the side of it. Yeah. And uh, when Hot VW shot that car, they, <laughs> they didn't want any part of that. But for me, throwing back to the old Nazi stuff, hey, that's where the Volkswagen started out. You know, Hitler wasn't the greatest guy, but no. if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have these cars. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, and I think that was part of that, you know, government-controlled um, economy where they built the car, building the car became their their means to create some sort of uh, economic substance that they Correct. had going on. And then there was the kind of the carrot the carrot and the horse type thing to keep mm-hmm. everything going. But the evolution of it, obviously, we end up, I mean, after World War II, we end up with the world's most popular car that to date, exactly. the most mass-produced car. So um, so you, so let's, I just kind of want to get back to the Mandela mm-hmm. part. So you, you go from working at a, a foreign car repair place and then yep. end up merging over to Mandiola. Correct. Now you're with Mandiola. You helped, did you help develop and design the suspension <laughs> stuff on there? Or? Yeah. So basically I left, I left, the old job after 13 years and taking a, taking a chance of doing this car thing and, and uh, went over there and we drove a car and it's just, it was, it was kind of scary to say the least. And um, I take him back to all Mike, it's a death trap. We got to do something with this thing. And so we did everything we could trying to get the suspension to handle better. And, it, you know, it just wouldn't. So between myself, uh, Mike Allison, and we had a couple of, um, a race car chassis engineers that got involved in it. And That's always helpful. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they 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 more stood back and told us, you know, what was right, what was wrong. They kind of you know consulted on the thing, but uh, they stand behind and go, "You're doing it wrong." Yeah, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, yeah, you screwed up. Can't tell you how to do it, but you screwed up. So. But uh, luckily, we came out pretty good right off the bat. There was a couple little changes afterwards, but for the most part, you know, it was we took all the Volkswagen out of the Volkswagen. Right. I mean, this car diving into a corner, you know, and being able to pull over a G and lateral G force just doesn't happen in a Volkswagen. And having the ride quality of a new car, it's just yeah, it's there's, amazing. Yeah, th- there's for sure some limitations in respect to the the Beetle chassis. Correct. So then Mendiola was doing the Mendiola suspensions. Correct. Now you're completely separate from Mendiola now. Correct. Yeah. So, what happened with that is basically uh, uh, Mike started wanting to slow down a little bit in his older age, wanted to kind of back off from a lot of things. And, uh, he decided to close down that part of the business and I had the opportunity to purchase it from him, the rights to the Mendiola suspension and kind of take off. And the economy had hurt him pretty bad. So he was pretty tight. What, what year is this? Is this 2010? 2000? It's 2012. 2012. When, yeah. When so he decided, like yeah, he was like, Hey, this, we're going to cut, we're going to cut this out. And, uh, I mean, the man went, he had two 25,000 square foot facilities uh, back to back, one building cars, one building building transmissions, and uh, 30 plus employees. And it just all went downhill for him. You yeah, know? when you get, stri- you get stretched out there, you know, I saw it at the sand dunes. You know, when I, start, I started mm-hmm. going to the sand dunes in like 2010, mm-hmm. uh, let's take it back, 2008, 2009, I started going to the sand dunes, and it's just crazy packed. And okay. then you see right after 2008, 
it just drops, you know, it's because, you know, all those hundred thousand dollar sand cars that are buying these $5,000 transmissions or $10,000 transmissions, those are all directly related to the construction economy typically. And a lot of people that are doing good in that. And as soon as that economy started slowing down, you know, in any respective business, you feel that, but most especially in a business that caters to more, uh, custom and unique and sand car and toys like the, luxury the, item. the toy business yeah, luxury so, item, yeah. Uh, no one's driving around in their uh you know toyota that needs a, a mendiola so correct so definitely that so that impacts the business negatively so the opportunity comes up for you to jump on and take over the suspension correct. that's a pretty big that's a pretty big leap for you to take so where where do you gather up the courage to say like hey i'm leaving this day job and i believe in myself <laughs> enough to do this because especially when, when you're jumping in this is the bottom of the market. I mean, yeah. you're out there selling a $6,000 suspension kit at the time, yeah. and it's the bottom of the market. Well, one thing that, you know, first of all, first and foremost, I got to give my wife a lot of credit for that. I've always been, you know, I grew up poor, you know, single mom, you know, sometimes we have food on the table and, you know, moving all the time. So it's always been scary for me. I've always been really careful with money. And, uh, my wife encouraged me first to make the jump to go down there, build cars with them, you know, to go after a dream. Right. And then also encouraged me to, to do this. Now, I mean, when I first went down there with them, we had just had my son, my first son, my 13 year old. When the opportunity came to go buy the business, I had just had my second son. And so, I mean, I'm sitting there going, man, I got to make all these bills meet. I've got to cover this and that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing wakes you up more than having some kids, right? Like, oh yeah. Maybe you feel you gotta be a lot more responsible. Absolutely. So, I mean, my, my term was I was super excited to have my own business because it's something I always wanted. And after being in the manufacturing end of things with Mike and seeing how things were done, I knew I could do it. It was a perfect opportunity for me, perfect place for me to be. And uh, I was I was excited, but I was ready to wet my pants at the same time. And yeah. I was ready to just make a big puddle. Oh, I was scared. and uh, But I had a lot of op- ideas, you know, like the brake systems, the, the shifters now, all the other components that we now produce – was all stuff that I had pitched to Mike, but between the economy and Mike not wanting to expand in right, that direction. Right, because all, all, all that kind of development costs a lot of money, R&D, yeah. figuring things out. I mean, yep. you're laying out lots of money before you see it, so Correct. understandably that he'd be pretty reluctant to get into that. But, you, but you've got these ideas, mm-hmm. and, and those ideas came from from dipping outside of the VW scene and seeing like, hey, everybody's got all these, where do those come from? Is it from going to the SEMA show? It's like, man, they make big brakes for everything. Why not big brakes for Volkswagens? Not, why not, you know what I mean? Well, I, ha- I had some really nice brakes on, on my Speedster. I've got a little Speedster with a uh, 2165, putting down about 306 at the wheels. I mean, it's it's a screamer. 306 at the wheels? 306 at the wheels. Oh, a dyno down here on your guys' dynos out here. Really? Yeah, out here. For, oh, yeah, one, of, one of the... Uh, oh, I remember. That's the yeah. that's the day I test drove the black 66 bug or something Yeah. that you had the Mendiola yep. suspension in. Yep. Yeah. That was when okay. 306 at the wheels, according, according to their dyno. Turboed? Turbo. Oh, yeah. guys, I say it has to be turbo for 306. Turbo injected. I mean, everything I could do to it. And uh, it, it screams. It's got a Porsche 915 five speed behind it so it can take the power. But I was booking down uh, over in my neighborhood, about eighth to a quarter mile away from a stoplight that was starting to turn red. And I laid into the brakes. And I had some of the best brakes on the market at that point. And from 180, it was stopping real good. And then as. I kept going towards the, the, the intersection. I started feeling more and more brake fade. I ended up rolling the intersection, did a right-hand turn at about five miles an Ooh. hour. Ooh. And uh, smoke, that's, that's smoke and brakes. I mean, the brakes were smoking like crazy. Because the nice thing with the suspension is the car sets. It doesn't just lock up the front tires so like the Beatles speeds, do. So hold on, so this, the Speedster has the same oh, full suspension? suspension. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, and uh, that developed the, that came into, hey, I need to do a better brake system. And I had already been doing a bunch of 944 uh brake upgrades for people with a suspension right but the problem there is you got a lot of old parts you got a lot of stuff that's worn out you got to find good pieces you got to make special cables and stuff so i just like most of the stuff that that we've developed it comes from the need and necessity you know it's like anything that we've done in the volkswagens for years is, is necessity how do we make how do we make a big engine cool better how do we make our car stop better how do we go faster you know right. i mean the schley brothers you go to their museum and see some of the, the history of of impy when it when it first started out yeah and it was from them drag racing back in the day. You know, they were drag racing. It was them and Daryl and, and you know, Joe Vitone had a machine shop doing BSA stuff for motorcycles. Yeah. You know, it was just crazy. It's It all comes from necessity. You know, yeah. it's just, so that's where, that's where the brakes came from. That's where a lot of the products that I've come up with 
have been as necessity parts, you know. So you make the Mendiola suspension. So how many levels of the Mendiola suspension do they have and what cars do they fit? Well, the, the Mendiola suspension is really a one level only stuff. We just make it one way, the, the right way, and that's it, you know. Okay. Um, we make it for Super Beetle and for Standard uh, Beetles. So anything type one, basically. Um, now type threes, we have adapted to type threes. Got to change the bulkhead out to a super beetle bulkhead, but we've got a really. In fact, I did the Schley's, uh Paul Schley's, uh Hold on, back it up one second. Yeah, you said you do that. You do the arm, the arm suspension, the Type threes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Get out of here. No, we just change out the bulkhead to mm. a uh, super beetle bulkhead. <laughs> mm. oh, you know, somebody that has a Type mm. three around here. I know, guys got a couple <laughs> Type threes. You never know. And so now there's a lot to take into consideration. I mean, you know, the, the big, I remember the milestone of VW people figuring out how to narrow front suspension. That was like, oh, forget it. You know, now mm. like, like the, the suspension fabricators are just going, who can get the narrowest beam, which is not my look. I like, yeah. I like a tire to fill out a wheel well, not to be all sucked, <laughs> sucked in. Correct. Um, but there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, it, it's not just take some arms and slap them on there. I mean, you've got to, you've got to understand spring rates. You've got to understand compression and rebound. You've mm -hmm. got to get all that stuff set up. And the Volkswagen is really tricky because it's really light in the front end, mm -hmm. really heavy in the back end. In the same respect, when you hit the brakes, you want that weight to transfer and roll forward. So there's a lot to do that. Was a lot of that developed with the, with the suspension engineers you guys worked with at Mendiola to Correct. where they kind of gave you the feedback in respect to, uh, you know, because most guys like, uh, you know, kind of the 80s way of raising your stuff in the back was we'll get the coilover springs and just keep cranking them up until, you know, they, they raise the back of the car up, which, you know, it doesn't really work. <coughs> so the development of that, because the cars are so similar in weight, it's pretty easy to just transfer it over to a Type 3 in the front suspension. Now, when you do the front suspension on the Type 3, does it increase track width or is it the same track width or it's going to be the same track width as a type one as a standard type one. And so to kind of go, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of dissect your question a little bit. Sure. The, um, so as far as suspension, there's obviously software with, you know, computer aided design, you know, CAD, CAD design. Sure. There's software where you can put your CAD design into and test it in the real world. <clears throat> so you have to know roll centers. You have to know, uh, center of gravity, you have to know, you know, where, how, how much rake you want in the car, what size tires you're running the whole bit. And you can actually run the car through simulated, uh, testing on there. And then, uh, so you have camber caster and, and toe that you're working with to get the car to work out properly along with roll centers and, you know, controlling all that. Basically the way I explain it to customers is when you're a kid, I don't know if you ever took a broom and tried to hold, you know, try to balance it on the end of your finger. Well, that's what your suspension does every day when you're running down the road. It's trying to balance. It's trying to keep the car flat on the ground and keep you from, you know, dying, basically. Um, so that's where you do a lot of stuff around that. But then we had a, an ace in the hole as far as, like you were talking about, shocks and coils and such. Um, we had an ace in the hole on that. Uh, Mike Mendiola uh, and Fox Racing uh, used to co-sponsor a Class 1 car. John Marking is probably one of the best shock engineers in the world as far as suspension engineering. Oh, really? Yeah. So John Marking actually helped out a lot with getting these things valved up properly and oh, wow. getting them to where we have, you know, progressive dive. We have, because it was the thing with Volkswagen is with suspension. You want the front end to plant. You want, you want that dive in the yeah, front end so you get the tires transfer. on the ground. Sure. Exactly. Sure. That's the hardest thing. You know, you, I remember the first time I put disc brakes, I'm like, this car's going to be awesome. I go flying the road, I'd slam on the brakes, the front wheel's just locked, locked up. up. Exactly. <laughs> You're just pushing 135s. And so then you go, okay, I got to get a bigger tire. Then you go bigger tire. Now you get more rotating mass. And so, I mean, with a, to have that guy in your back pocket under the development, that's got to be huge to help oh, get huge. that suspension developed. And then the geometry in respect to um, the A-arms, uh, you know, you still have full range or do you have more range or we saw it's still very similar to the, to the Beetle. We've only got, uh, the shock itself only travels three and a half inches. But you've got that inboard on the A-arm, so your actual movement at the wheel is five and a half to six inches. Right. Um, but that becomes irrelevant if you can control it. You know, like in off-road, we want a lot of suspension. We want sure. lots of travel. We want to be able to, going out tuning our off-road cars, because we also did a, a dual-sport Myers-Manx. Yes. And uh, again, six-cylinder, five-speed, the whole bit. And we went ripping down the road with that thing. We had 14 inches of travel and we were traveling 60 miles an hour across the desert and you being, you know, also a desert guy. Yeah. The sand is one thing, but when you get in the hard pack where you've got big whoops and things like that, 
to suck it up with 14 inches of suspension is something else. And I mean, I personally launched the the Manx, and that thing was a 2,300 pound car with 12 inches of suspension That's travel. A scary car. I launched that thing. I had six feet of air under the tires out the dunes. Jeez. You know, of course, I was launching off one side, landing down the other side. Flat well, landing probably would hurt. I but, hope uh, it <laughs> But seeing what they do with suspension and off road just really gets you gets you thinking. You know, it's just like. You go to our engines, our two liters, you know, back when we learned how to run IDAs and get them tuned properly and get just that. I mean, remember the old engine build-offs back in oh, the yeah. day? The guys would squeeze out almost 200 horsepower of these things, but that was before that we were doing 140, 150. Right. You know, so now it's like, it's all tuning. It's all, you do the same thing with your suspension that you do with your motors. Sure. Sure. So, um, so now you make the kit for, so the, the cost of the kit um, is the same whether it's type one or type three. All the suspension components are the same. Now, do Correct. you su- when they when someone buys that you supply? Let's say someone wants it for the type thirty four Gia. Mm-hmm. I mean the type three type three. <laughs> type thirty four. Someone wants it. Is there another type, type three, three than the Gia? <laughs> so, uh, you supply the bulkhead with it. You sell it an aftermarket, or you someone has to go to the junkyard, wrecking yard, find a bulkhead, cut it off. I mean that that's a pretty that's a pretty involved deal to to be able to put that bulkhead swap it out. I mean is that average the garage bulkhead, guy deal? Yeah, or? the type three. There's, there's a couple guys over in Europe that have done it so far. They, they've done it also. Uh, I kind of gave them guidance because I had to figure it all out. It, for me, it's like when I look at things, I kind of kind of take them apart in my mind and figure out how I can do it. And when I did the Schleys, that was the first one I did in house. And when I did Chad Slays, I had to figure out how to do this thing. And it requires... You did, you did a Type 3 for him? Yeah, I did, did Chad Slays Type 3. It's in the. It's been over at the museum for a while. He's supposed to someday get it finished. supposed to run E85, have 300-plus horsepower, and track race the thing. Wow. Uh, that was the first car we did the big red brakes on. We did we did the big 12.5s and 11.5s in the rears on that thing. So it's got massive brakes. Because he already races a Viper on, on Streets of Willow and stuff like that, but he wants to take this VW uh, notchback down there and run it. But... Uh, we had to figure out how to do it. We had to figure out how to fit it all on there. And, and it required cutting the front Napoleon hat on the Type 3 in half and cutting the uh, Super Beetle one in half and sliding them together and then plating. And there's, there's a lot of extensive fab work inside there to fit it. But the nice thing about it is in the end, the Super Beetles have these two front mounts that, that attach to the body. Just like the uh, type, the, 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 they have the the, the mounting points <coughs> for the lower control arm. Is that what you're talking about? No, no, they have these. Uh, it's like a hammerhead bulkhead. Yep. kind of comes out. It's got a couple of mounting places up front for the body for the Super Beetle, and uh, we're able actually to use those to mount to the upper uh, beam mounts of the Type Threes. So, the, oh, wow. so we actually tie the body back into the front. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it makes it really rigid. So really it's nice and rigid. And then, uh, so how many Type Threes have you guys done with the arm suspension? Uh, I've done, I've done three in house, including a right hand drive for a guy back I, in Texas. You know, Texas. Type, type three cats are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, I know right now they're kind of because this is the first I'm hearing it with the type three fabs, mm-hmm. and maybe they're not want, they're, they're they're not paying attention because the type three guys like to do airbags. A lot of type three guys like to get bags because yeah. the type three cats are a little bit different. I mean, you got the stock guys or all the stock guys, but the the custom guys <coughs> like to do a little trick stuff. So uh, I, I think that's really interesting. The the arm suspension for the type threes it definitely piques my interest. Um, but I asked you a question earlier about the track width. So mm-hmm. track width of the Type 3, is it, the, is it the same as the Type 1? As far as I know, I've never measured a Type 3 beam, but I know that you know guys have been sliding the, uh, the Type 1 beams into the... <laughs> So you do the t- so now you do the type three. So you do the arm suspension. You can do it any 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 of your vehicle, and now including type threes. Correct. Um, and they can check out the website to get more details on that. They can reach you at uh, CoolRidesCustoms. Correct. CoolRidesCustoms.com. Yep. Okay. And so besides the suspension, you've come out with something recently a little bit that's that's kind of hit the market pretty new for buses. And uh, tell me about that. Uh, you're referring to the to the bus shifters? Yes. Yes, yes. The shifters were... were no, you don't have one in your car, do you? I do not have one with me today. I, if I didn't know you were coming here, I... I brought, I brought I, two of them out here with me. Telly has two of them in his shop right now. I, I, have, a, I have another shifter in my bus, and uh-huh. it's not a Berg, but it's a really cool mechanical-looking mm-hmm. shifter, and I've struggled with making it work correctly. I've had the hardest time making that shifter work properly. It looks so cool that I sit at stoplights struggling with the shifter because <laughs> it's 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 sometimes it's function over fashion and and, and funny enough um, I've I've been debating getting rid of that shifter just because it's it's just not fun to drive with it, yeah. you know. It's it looks so cool. It's just like a centerpiece for the interior, mm-hmm. but uh, I haven't been able to make it function 
properly. So is that the reason why you came out with that shifter or what was your reason for coming out with the shifter? Well, the shifter, that's not a cheap undertaking. No, to machine no. it, to prototype it, to all that stuff. I mean, it's got a. No. It, it, that's if I it, and I'm not even in that business. If I had to guess, your ten to twenty grand to to develop it between machining cost, test samples, time, materials, all that stuff, you got to be between ten to twenty grand just to develop a working shifter. Yeah, that doesn't even it's, include it's, getting into production and all that stuff. It gets pretty expensive. Um, luckily, I'm really good on the first shot through. Ninety nine point nine. I'm having a little trouble with the matching e brake handle. We're also going to be doing a billet e brake handle to match it. Having a little bit of trouble getting that thing working to where I feel really comfortable with it. Um, everything that we do, I billet e brake. Excuse me, billet e brake handle for the bus for early for buses? a bus and bug. Yeah, we're oh, gonna okay. do it for both. So, cool. so actually, you know, your shifter and your e brake match, and you don't have to put this. You don't have to put a stock one or one of those nice chrome ones that bend in half the first time you pull on them. <laughs> so uh, you know, the again, ti- Johnny Speed and chrome ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but it looks good in there. Let me bend it back straight. Yeah, bend there. Um, so. You know, it's like everything we do, I, I want to test. I want to make sure we've really tested it to the hilt and make sure it really works. And it, it's an improvement because I, I don't want to get involved in something if I can't make it better somehow. Right. You know, and looks are obviously form follows function. Yeah. You know, and uh, back in the in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, I was running uh, my full ragtop bug, the second one I built, making a pass at Carlsbad Raceway. And I was in third gear, and I, and I said, yeah, I got I'm going to try fourth this time. I'm going to try to grab fourth. And I reached, had a nice Gene Berg shifter in there. I mean, that was the top of the mark back in the 80s. If you had a Gene Berg, you had the best shifter there yep. was. And I grabbed that shifter, and I, I pulled back on it to go into, you know, in the heat of battle. You know, I'm racing, a, I, think it was, I think it was a Chevelle in the other lane, and I saw him coming because the bug beat him off the line, but the Chevelle was going to catch up at right. the far end. So I reached over to grab, grab for fourth, and when I pulled back, I somehow nailed second. And I smiley faced every one of my pistons. And I caught it quick enough to where I didn't blow apart. But I was like, man, it's all these shifters, they're all single throw shifters, meaning that you have one pivot forward and back. You got a 50% throw reduction or whatever. But side to side, you have a 50% throw reduction. So now you're... Your, your gears second are tighter, to third, yeah. Left to right. Your I got second it, to I got third it. gate is so tight that I've you never thought know. about. I've never thought about that before. Yeah. And so... Carlsbad Raceway is almost like an off-road course when I'm running it, you know, so you get through some whoops at the other end, and when I went to grab, I must have hit a whoop or moved just enough to get it into second, you know, it wasn't the shifter's fault, it's just the shifter was mechanically so tight, I couldn't get it. I've tried to get my car into second gear like that, and it won't go, so you must have been really committed. Uh, I had a lot lot bigger shoulders and muscles back then, you know, so... uh, yeah, no, so, so, so the, the, the reason for it, to get to your question, I'm sorry, uh, I kind of roundabout way to it, but uh, I started doing a lot of these Subaru conversions, and people were buying the vintage speed shifter, which is a great shifter, good, great looking shifter, great, great machining work and everything, but you try to put that into a transmission that's already tight as it is, now you've got, you're trying to go to fifth, so and you're, you're hold, hold on, it. so you're putting these, when you say Subaru conversions... Are you doing Subaru transmissions as Subaru well? Subaru transmissions into these cars. So you're doing Subaru transmissions in these. Now, these are kit cars you're building, or these are No, we put Beetles. Subaru stuff. Yeah, we put Subaru stuff in, in Beetles, in Porsche Speedster kit cars. In so obviously you're doing the, the Subi Gears. Uh, transmissions, ring and, ring and correct. Of that. And who's yeah. doing those for you? Uh, Rancho Performance Transaxle does all of our transmissions right now. And right so you put that in there. Now you've got a you've got a five-speed shifter, but now because you've raised the fulcrum point of the shifter... Your, your lateral gear splits, like from first to third and all that, are much, much tighter. You don't know if you've gone to third or fifth. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's so tight. So, And that, that kind of sparked, you know, seeing what was out there on the market and wanting to do something just a little bit different. I had been playing with Porsche transmissions, too. Yeah. And they run a dual-throw shifter. So it has a separate throw for front to back and side to side, which allows you to find that five-speed a lot simpler. So that's where I said, hey, why couldn't we do a Volkswagen shifter in a dual throw? And so that's where the engineering started. And now with mine, you've got a 50% throw reduction front to back, but Mm -hmm. your side to side is a 30% reduction. So you're able to actually find those other gears without having any type of issues. Right. And uh, I actually took it a a step further because we did – a spring-loaded uh, reverse lockout, which has about a 12-pound spring to when you go to go in reverse, you push up against that spring. Took it a step further and put a spring on the other, spring gated on the other side. So now, when you put the shifter in your car, there's no adjustment side to side. You leave it in neutral. You drop the thing in. You put the bolts in. You adjust front to back a little bit if you're having trouble getting fully engaged. 
but your side to side is sprung loaded. So whenever you let go of the shifter, it's always going to come back to first gear, the first one, two rail. Oh, really? So when you go to third and fourth, you actually push up against a four pound spring to go over to third or fourth. And it's enough of a throw to where you feel you're actually going into that gear. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, well. Maybe the carbon cab might have to get a new shifter. Because I'm, I'm telling you right now, there's nothing worse than looking cool as can be in that carbon cab. And then going to, like, and then you look at the shift like this piece of art doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty frustrating. Grandma in the 1972 Cadillac just outran you from stoplight to stoplight. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's like, it's interesting because you see products that look so good. My split window that's mm-hmm. been under construction for quite a bit of time. Mm-hmm. Um, which I actually, coincidentally, I'm running a Mendiola suspension on that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that split window, the design started with the shifter. I saw the shifter and I thought, I thought it's an open gated shifter. It mm-hmm. looks super cool, real mechanical. Mm-hmm. And that's the vibe I want for my split window when it's coming yeah. out. A little tidbit I'm leaving out to the crew out there, out, out there in podcast land. But, uh, you know, it's kind of frustrating when something looks so good but doesn't work. Correct. As good as it should. So, yeah. uh, you know, maybe, and, and, and I think maybe, and maybe this is where these podcasts come in handy because a lot of people don't understand what it takes to get to a point where you can make a shifter mm-hmm. that you're selling. How much does the shifter sell for? Uh, bugs are three ninety five, and the uh, buses are five ninety five. Yeah. So someone's like $600. That's crazy. You know what I mean? But they don't understand the difference. And so mm-hmm. maybe that's, that's, and, and hopefully this podcast will help everybody kind of understand what the difference is that you took the time to develop a different, a, a different uh, reduction in throw Correct. laterally than, uh, you know, vertically or, or horizontally, you know what Correct. I mean? And so um, it's opened my eyes to it because sometimes maybe in today's day and age where we just kind of blip through Instagram, we don't take the time to read details and look at things like that. Maybe mm-hmm. some of those things, information I'm sure is probably out there, but maybe nobody's taking the time. Everybody goes right down to the bottom line. You know, a typical consumer goes right to the price. What's the cost? What's the cost? Yeah. What's the cost? And they go, ah, it costs too much money. Correct. And, and I'll be honest with you, that was my thought. I thought, well, dude, that shifter's six hundred bucks. I'll just get a Berg. They're three hundred. Yeah. But now that you're telling me the development and engineering and all the stuff that goes into that, because even myself, me being a VW guy, I thought, oh man, maybe uh, maybe I'll get one of those shifters. And I thought, ah, oh, six hundred bucks, man. And then not understanding the development and time that's gone into that shifter, it's kind of opened my eyes to where I'm like, hey, I'm willing to pay the six hundred bucks for a shifter. Yeah. I mean, you you know what I'm saying? But I think that's that's a big key component because that's what happens when you go on the Samba or you go on some place and you're on Instagram and you got three seconds to get your point across and get mm-hmm. people to understand what you're doing. And then everybody wants to fire back with a bunch of nonsense or a bunch of like, oh, who do you think you are? You think just because this cool rides, it's yes. worth that much? And, and, and I'm being real about it, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's maybe some of the reasons why. That happened. So hopefully from this podcast, people understand the development and engineering that's gone into that because we got the time to talk about it and kind of just sit down and 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 when you go to a show, you don't have time to sit down and, and have this conversation with everybody because you're Correct. moving parts and displaying stuff and talking to people and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully this podcast will come in handy for some stuff like that because yeah. I can tell you right now, it's open my eyes and I'll probably be ordering a shifter. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, <laughs> Shannon from Couch Custom out here bought one of my shifters and he actually, without many, I didn't ask him or anything. I just suddenly saw a link to a video that he posted up Loves the way it shifts. And yeah. as I developed this thing, San Diego, down in San Diego, Dave Cormack, who used to write for yep. BW Trends, used to live down there. Him and I used to poke at each other as hard as we could all the time. We had a, a love-hate relationship. We, we loved to hate each other a lot, you know? But we became really good friends from it. And uh, when I developed the shifter, knowing his history with Volkswagen, because he's been in it since before any of us i, I know right. he's been in there I mean, he was back when you could find a, a 50 split window on on you know the right. newspaper you know and uh, i sent him one of my shifters i said hey i want you to try it out see what you think you know and i want you you know knowing he'd give me an honest opinion one way or the other way and uh he's got a 56 real beautiful 56 they built his vw trends car way back in the day yeah and it had a Jeanberg signature series uh, shifter in it and he went ahead and he put my shifter in there and he drove it. And his one and only thing that he said is that a couple times coming back across, because you're used to moving that shifter manually, he caught first. reverse. He caught reverse. He freaking pulled over and hit, hit, you know, instead of going into second, he pulled, he pulled against it. Because you're used to popping pop the new Correct. Direction. So he's pulling over, not just realizing he just let go of it. He goes, I did that twice. But once I figured out, I didn't have to pull it, that it would just automatically go over to second. I could just pop it into it. He goes, I love it. He goes, I'm not putting the Berg back in. And he, he kept the Berg out. And that, to me... It gives me chills because I grew up around those guys being the benchmark. And yeah. now 
not to be, you know, very humbly I say this, but now I'm starting to be recognized as one of the benchmarks. And it feels great. And it just makes me, it inspires me to work even harder to build even better things and to really give this market things that they don't have yet. You know, I'm not in it for no, the money. I'm never going to be rich. Listen, nobody gets into VWs <laughs> for the money. That's for no. sure. No. You know, and anybody, and anybody that's saying like, oh, those VW shops, those guys are making a mint of money. I, I have yet to meet someone that is in the VW business that's filthy rich that, you know what I mean? It's, no. It just doesn't get you there. You know yeah. what I mean? So. Uh, it's a passion. Yeah, it's, it, that's it. That's what fuels everything that we do is, is our passion for, uh, you know, we get these old little econo box vehicles and then we try to make them performance cars. Yeah. We're like, <laughs> we're like, I think VW people are kind of the, the most, you know, especially the, the custom and hot rod VW guys are kind of the most backward guys. And, but, but I don't want to say backward, but, but what I mean is like, we take the most oxymoronic vehicle that should be seen as a performance and we look at it and we, like for me, nothing is better looking than like a 67 cow look, like sitting with the right stance, BRMs or five spokes or, you know, any kind of, any kind of classic cow look wheel, yep. like just sitting there and it just looks like it's, it's got some big meats in the back and it's just, and it's sitting just just stance oh, yeah. enough where it just looks like, to, like for us, I think for us VW people, we see that and we think like, oh, like like Chevy guys when they see a Chevelle, like that's what we see. We see a nice cow look button. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but it's awesome because because of that desire to take these cars that are forty five to fifty horsepower and then to bring these things in the world where we're pushing out. You know, some of these cars, these world record drag cars are pushing a thousand horsepower, stuff like that. And, and you're talking, you know, that's, that's, that's big time stuff yeah. out of a, out of a, a VW originated design. Absolutely. But, uh, so besides, so you got the shifters that you've got out now, mm -hmm. which, uh, I'm, you know, after this discussion, honestly, I'm thinking, <coughs> you know, and no disrespect to a Berg shifter at all. No, the Berg shifters is a great solid shifter and it, and it. And it does exactly what it's designed to do, shorten the shift throw. Yours is one more step of engineering involved in that in respect to changing the lateral uh, reduction Correct. from gear to gear and the centering position. So it's a it's a different shifter altogether, but that's the great thing. It's like we get to a point where in the VW scene where, where it stops. Like mm -hmm. we, we're, this is what we're going to do and that's it. You know, like right. narrowed beams, game over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I, now you've got A arm beams and all these types of things. Because you know, I, I remember the first the first A arm suspension that I saw was uh, Eyeball Engineering. Mm -hmm. uh, he passed away a few years back. Bruce, yeah. And, and I saw guy. him there at um, at one of the car shows, and he had done. He was he, he was a hot. I think he was a hot rod guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, he did a, mm -hmm. a whole hot rod bug with the A arm suspension, and I got to talking to him. And I'm, I'm at the car show, and I said, Hey, why don't you make those and sell them? He goes, Oh no, the liability is just too much money. It's this, it's that. And then I said would you sell me the idea? Because mm -hmm. I saw it and yeah. I thought, because in my head I'm thinking, I've seen so many people, the evolution of trying to get <clears throat> an articulating suspension like an Aram suspension in mm -hmm. a Volkswagen, I've seen I've seen buses with uh, 356 and mm -hmm. 914 lower swing arms yep. welded to the bottom and a strut mount pushed up through the seat. I mean, I've seen all kinds of iterations of it and the the evolution that I've, that I've seen in, in this, in the Mendiola setup, I really like it. Okay, so we're back. Uh, we heard uh, that was a little bit of Bella barking in the background. Yes. So we had to go tame the beast. You know, we're here. We're here. <laughs> we're here in the studio, aka the shop, the garage, Mahal. So sometimes we get a little bit of that sound, but uh, and we keep it real here on the Let's Talk Dub podcast. Absolutely. So um, we talked about the shop. We talked about how you got into it. Um, we talked about what's coming up in the future, and, you, and your focus is going to be primarily going into trying to make. Uh, some stuff that people can buy that they can put on their car, kind of bolt on stuff that's cool looking, gives us some personality, some things <coughs> like that. Um, you're doing some theme builds. Yep. You got the so so what's the next so what's the next show? Because obviously this whole thing with the classic and all that stuff is kind of big news. I mean, yeah. it, it kind of the dismantling of the Southern California Classic Weekend. This is my two cents on it. It's been a bummer. I know a lot of people are big pro Prado guys, but. You know, it's tough to go out there with a full display and set it up in the grass and the dirt and stuff like yeah, that. It's yeah. it's a whole thing. And there's there was something to be said for the big rollouts and the debuts and the car shows yeah. and, and kind of bring stuff out. So when will you debut your next build? You know, going going I'm gonna step back just to the other question real quickly. I'm gonna build more stuff, you know, and I'm gonna continue to build the cars. I'm gonna break it down on the car builds instead of doing every car. 
I'm going to focus on, on two or three a year and that's it. Cause right now we got like 14 projects. I, I just oh, don't wow. need that many projects. It's, it's so much headache to, to try to manage all those projects and dealing with paint and body is always a nightmare. And no, no offense. People like buddy hell, they're great painters, but I've got painters that have drugged me out for over a year on a paint job. And I've taken them a completely stripped carcass that's sandblasted major metal work done the whole bit. It's, a, it's, tough, just, it's a tough go. I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about this stuff, man. I don't like to stress out. I want to spend time with my family. You know, it's like you just, you got to manage. I think the hardest part of managing a business is managing life, you know. But uh, so we're going to break it down a few builds a year. We'll still have the guys doing the chassis builds for people because people just feel more comfortable a lot of times sending their cars to us to do the chassis and we can knock those out in six, eight weeks. That's done. Um, but in the meantime, we get to do a lot of these things to develop more products like the UTF, the, the end of the fender oil cooler, you know, things like that. Allows what's, the, us, what's the UTF? The UTF, the is, UTF is the end of the fender oil cooler. And basically what it does is it mounts to, on type one beetles. Uh-huh. We've got one coming out for a gear. We're going to be doing one for a bus. Um, it mounts to the bumper bracket bolts on the inside of the left rear fender. Puts the oil cooler right up next to the taillight up inside there with a fan the whole bit. Really? First thing everybody says, aren't the rocks going to hit it? And aren't, you know, you're going to destroy it right there. Well, how many times have you seen dents in the back of your fender right there? Right. There's none. It's a, where yeah. it's at doesn't get hit, but it allows you to run like our Kafer bar kit, the stiffy and other parts like that. And he gets your oil cooler out from underneath the parcel tray where we were putting them forever. And now we can put it, you know, we can put it out in the fender and it actually cools a lot better. I mean, oh, really? the hell? Oh yeah. You got, so have you done tests? Have you done oil, t- oil temperature tests with absolutely. without it? And what, what kind of difference did it get in temperature well, wise? We were, we were watching the gauges on the stuff. When you're underneath the car, when you come off the freeway, when you're under the partial tray where we've been mounting it for years with a fan on it, mm-hmm. when you come off the freeway, it, de- it varies depending on outside temperature and, and ground temperature, if it's a sunny day or you know, you're know you on the asphalt or whatever. But we dropped over 20 degrees by coming out from underneath the bottom of the, the, the partial tray and putting it in the fender. Wow. Plus, we're not seeing the... 20 f- degrees is a lot. Well, on top of that, you got to think about when, you're, when your oil cooler is underneath there... The air, it's it's recircling the it's, same air. It's creating it's just, a vacuum. It's it just usually creates a vacuum underneath there above the transmission. And when you slow down, it just sits there and, and research the same hot air through it. So it sits above a hot transmission. Correct. So when you're in the back of the fender, the air is pushing up. The, the tires develop air pressure, little known fact. They're actually big fans. A bunch of air pressure gets inside the fender well. So we're utilizing that air pressure to push through the oil cooler, and then we leave enough of a gap behind it for it to exit out underneath the fender. So we're not recircling that air as we're moving down the freeway and such. And so it leads also to the fan not coming on, having to do as many duty cycles. You usually, when you come off the freeway, you'll hear the fan come on once or twice. But for the most part, it's not running continuously, which takes a lot less lag on the battery, on the charging system, and on all the components. So, and what kind of cooler are you using? Is it a we're just using cooler? we're just using a seventy-two pass Mesa cooler. So seventy-two pass Mesa cooler, but it's a turnkey kit. Someone picks up the phone, calls Mandiola, yep. they can get it. Or, if they go on the internet, cool rides. They go, yeah, <laughs> not me y'all. Go, they, they go to Cool Rides. So someone cool rides custom, goes yep. on the internet, goes to CoolRidesCustoms.com. They want to buy an under the fender kit. What are they paying for an under the fender kit? The whole kit's three three hundred two ninety five. That's with cooler, fan, fan switch, and fittings. The whole bit. That's turnkey. That. And if somebody wants to put that on their car, they've got to have it full flowed. It should yeah, already full be full flowed. If it's full flowed, it's a couple hour bolt in and you're done. Correct. And now you got, and, and it comes with bra- now, mounting brackets and everything. It's the, it's the mounting bracket, the cooler, everything's ready to bolt up underneath the fender for both uh, early and late model. You just shorten up your hoses, your, your oil hoses. And we give you the bar fittings in case you want to run the old school uh, hoses or whatever. But now your hoses, instead of having to make this route underneath the car, are just going right there to the fender. Shortens them up, makes it travel a lot less, keeps your oil pressure up a little bit higher. Yeah, There's awesome. a lot of benefits to it. And we did it because once we started doing the stiffy kit, we lost that room under the parcel tray. Sure. So again, during the build, we come up with something new. The Speedwell Oval was actually the first one to ever get that. And you asked me if I ever drove that thing. Uh, I actually ran tight side-by-side side with an M5 coming from East 8, uh, down in San Diego, East 8, yeah. climbing up the hill, up from Mission Valley, climbing up the hill, heading on to southbound 805. Really? And I saw him coming up. I was out test driving this thing, working some of the bugs out on the thing. So this is the Speedwell Oval. Speedwell Oval. And it's got, what's it got for gearbox? It's got a Mindial 5-speed in there. Okay. 220 horsepower at the wheels on 8 pounds of boost. and Turbo. Turbo. Uh, under Declan Turbo setup. Turbo, yep. Yeah, Chico over at CPR put the engine together. Real, real conservative builder. Great engine, real reliable. Good, good engine. Big good torque power. monster. Yep. And 
Tim had used him in the past. That's how we found him in the first place. And so we ended up going, going with him. And uh, so I'm driving up. I'm, I'm coming up the on-ramp, coming on to the, to the 805 South. And it's a climb. If you've ever been down in Mission Valley, yeah. you, you know, you're climbing out of the valley. It's a long, slow grade. And I see this M5 make, making some moves coming up behind me. And I'm, 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 I'm like, yeah. hey, this is going to be fun. So as he gets up to me, I dropped from fifth down to third and nailed it, stood on it. And he was just about next to me, and we went ripping up the hill. Really? And I stuck with him all the way to the top of the hill. We were doing about a buck ten by the time we topped the hill, and we were going through gears. And when I finally got out of it, he slowed down because he had noticed me. He slowed down and looks over. and, and uh, So, yeah, so we did about a buck ten. And when I finally got out of it and slowed down, I figured, hey, I'm driving a pretty expensive vehicle here, and I don't want to freaking mow anybody down. Right. And I got car. out of it. Yeah. Well, the guy in the M5 slowed down, gave me a big old thumbs up. He's like, he was impressed that that bug stuck with him all the way up the hill. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and that's saying something. I mean, that, that was scooting along. So. Now, does the guy who owned that car, does he drive it now? He drove the piss out of it. I actually, when I, he scared the hell out of me driving into his driveway up there. He lives, lived up in Cota de Casa when he owned the car. And uh, he came down the street doing about, out 10 to 15 miles per hour and and he turned he didn't slow down much he turned right into his driveway he had a pretty angled driveway i thought for sure the apron was going to be gone he right. dove right into it and he used to put the uh, guys up there in code because it's not uncommon when you live in that area to hear lamborghinis and ferraris and stuff run through there well they've got i don't know exactly where it's at but there's a back road that they take to go up to some supermarket up the top of the hill kind of like going out to julian or something like that where you're running through the curves yeah. and uh He'd run it up there every other weekend or so. And the guys, when they got up there, what the hell's in this thing? You know, they, they were driving Porsches or Lambos or whatever. They're like, what the hell's in this bug? You know, it's sticking with us. It's hold, holding the corners and it's fast, you know? Nice. <clears throat> so, yeah, but that car now actually resides over in Europe. You mentioned Europe before. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it's actually over in Europe now. It went over there. It uh, changed hands. He finally had had enough of, of playing with the Volkswagens and went back to it. He's now driving an Audi R8. I think this All is right. his latest toy. So. Well, well, we look forward to seeing some of these builds. So when are you going to bring out, or do you have a date when the next build's coming out or when you got something coming out? You know, with trying to keep good employees in there, trying to keep guys that can actually do the job. I had one guy get hurt recently and just getting, you know, going through waiting for other people. It's tough. I would love to debut cars at the classic every year because that used to be the thing. It's like, you, is there you, a classic? Well, there, there, you know, <laughs> as of right now, this year there's not, which is a super drag. But uh, listen, hopefully we'll get this thing worked out. But, but you're saying, so what you're telling me is if somebody's listening to this podcast, they live in the Midwest somewhere and mm -hmm. they want to come to sunny California and learn to build cars. You got a job for, for someone <laughs> that's got for someone that can show up to work, that's got good work ethic, that can be there. Yeah. I mean, this is a common thread that I'm seeing with a lot of the younger generation. A lot of these guys aren't getting their hands dirty working on cars, and so that leaves great need in shops like yours for Correct. a guy who can get his hands dirty and start and start being part of building some of these creations that go down in history. I mean, you and look, caring. Yeah, I mean, you know, to be a, a, a caring, engaged employee that wants to be part of something. That's bigger than just, you know, we're pushing paper or doing whatever. We're actually yeah. building cars that are leaving a mark on the scene that are going to go down in history books. That 20 Correct. years from now, they'll be talking about these cars that were that came out now. Yeah, so. we've got a couple of really, really high end. We're doing that the the R Beetle, and then we've got a uh, a 56 that's on the hot rod theme like crazy. And that nice. that car, it's going to be another. I think it'll hit the market. When that customer came to me, he's a great guy from back in uh, in the the Oklahoma area, and uh, he says, I just want the best Beetle there is. And uh, he goes, I don't. <laughs> That's a pretty tall order. A yeah. Of, a lot of Beetles there is, out there. There is. There is. And, and, I, and I was, I was kind of taken back by that. He goes, but I've seen what you've, did, what you've done in other cars. And he goes, I think you can do it. And uh, so, so, that's a, so, so that car, because I've had some people ask in the pockets before. Mm -hmm. So someone wants the best Beetle there is. That's a six-figure. That's going to be a six-figure car. Yeah. There's no question about it. I mean, they're, they're, you're, not getting, you're not getting out of here. Under six figures, I mean, you got to pull out all the stops, and yeah. you got you got to think way out of the box. And and uh, I listened to the podcast of Buddy Hill, and and I look at it a lot the same way he does, but I really try to bring in something that the customer's thinking about. You right, know, I, I always try to bring. You'd be amazed how much you can learn from a customer and their ideas and stuff. And using those ideas to inspire what you're going to come out with. And it's it's really incredible. I mean, it's some of the stuff has been. It's just kind of gone, like the. The uh, Mexican Beetle was originally supposed to be an outlaw style 356 thing, right? And that's where we were originally going to go with it. But then we kind of, I kind of nudged him the other direction, and it seems to have worked out, you know. So, well, that's cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of these cars come out. Um, 
and if people want to people want to check you out you're going to be they can go to coolridescustoms.com yep and then you're on instagram as uh it's kevin El Zagar, I think it was Kevin Zagar or something like that on on on, on, on Instagram. Yeah, I had Cool Rides on there. I don't know if it's still there or not. It might be Kevin Cool Rides Zagar. All right. So you've been spending most of your time less marketing and doing more hands-on work at the yeah, shop. Keeping trying things to, going. Yeah. And then you, you're on Facebook. Facebook is Kevin Zagar. Yeah, they took Cool Rides out of that. Someone someone got upset at me and said that I was marketing as a business. But I also have CoolRidesCustoms.com right. on, on Facebook too. Okay, so, so CoolRidesCustoms.com. And that's where we, we can see pictures of all these cars that you're talking about and you're working on Correct. and those types of things as well as you, on your website. So Yeah, the website's got a gallery section past you know custom builds and such so, like that. So somebody's listening to this podcast, they're back, they're in the Midwest, they're like, I'm shipping Kevin a chassis. I want him to do my chassis for my 62 they ship it to you. What can they expect to pay for something like that? Can it bring it in your standard kit? No frills. They're just getting the kit brought back. They ship you the pan. You send it back. What's the bill to them going to be? So basically, like if they they send us a basic beetle, you know, not something show quality. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's show quality, I charge more because it takes a lot more time Absolutely. to take apart. We're trying to preserve what's there. Uh, but if they send me a basic driving beetle and they mm-hmm. want me to do a chassis, do the chassis with the brakes and stuff. Usually starts out about eleven five, takes about six to eight weeks to do. Okay. Um, you know, and that's doing the chassis and sandblasting and powder coating the pan and stuff. But then it goes up from there, depending on how much they want to do, how nice they want to make it. Do they want to do a power change? You know, it's the, the a average. Lot of t- yeah, yeah, the average ticket usually runs around fifteen to sixteen to do to do the chassis 16, with brakes and you know turning it back into a running driving car. But it's coming back a chassis ready to put transmission and motor in it body on it and so if somebody's if someone's at home and they're they're going to do their own restoration they've got body work situated mm-hmm. they want to get the pan done they send you the pan you build it for a, a driver somebody's Correct. doing a driver they're getting the paint body work they want to come back you put the put the tranny in put the motor in it the pan's done drum uh, rotor to rotor yeah all four corners suspension um so that's done so they get that card do they got to do any tuning or any of that kind of stuff or is it preset for some things they can do and then do, if, if someone buys your suspension do they get some instructions as how to like if you like a little more of this or a little more of that you can do these tweaks well how, how does that work <clears throat> again when we design this stuff one of the one of the main concerns in the design for the kits was to make it to where no matter where we sent in the reel no matter what language they spoke it was self-explanatory or pretty close to being self-explanatory yeah so as we did that um we had to keep in mind that we had to make it to where the worst chicken turd welder in the world could put one of these front ends on and make it simple enough to install. So all of that was kind of figured out there. The instructions are real basic. The average guy can put it in, in his first time ever doing this, the pan's sitting there in four hours, do the front end rear suspension. Oh, really? Yeah. It's front really, rear suspension, four hours. Yeah. It's really not that hard to do. It, it's all self-locating. There's a couple, after you get the bulkhead on, you do a couple of diagonal and straight back measurements to make sure it's parallel with the rear torsion and you start, start tacking it in place. It's really yeah. simple. Yeah. We, we had to do it simple. I mean, you gotta remember we're talking to people in France and in, oh, yeah. in Malaysia, Middle all the stuff. Malaysia, yeah. right, right now, this podcast is being heard in France, Malaysia, uh, Japan. It's being downloaded in Australia. It's being downloaded in South Africa. Yeah. And this is just, we've only been out a couple of weeks. So this yeah. podcast, I'm sure will continue to play over and over again Good. as people download it. So all over the world. So, um, that's awesome, man. So the, so the kit's pretty simple to put on yourself. Mm-hmm. A do-it-yourself for can for sure put this kit on. Correct. So you can order a kit. So someone someone's a little handy with a welder. They can do some stuff. What's it costing them? They want a kit shipped to their house. What's it run a, a typical kit? Uh, front and rear suspension. Front's thirty two ninety five spindle to spindle. The rear is twenty three ninety five. So figure fifty eight uh, fifty eight ninety. I think Six it grand. is. Yeah. Six grand. Does that come with brakes? That's without brakes. That's without brakes. Yeah, brakes and are then, additional. The, and then the standard spindle setup and whatnot takes what type of brakes? What kind of brakes? Stan, the standard spindle without any modifications is a Gia caliper, Gia, Gia disc brakes. Okay. So that's a direct bolt-in. Uh, if you're going to go, if you let us know at the time of purchase, if you're going to use Will Woods, you're going to use our brakes, somebody else's brakes, we'll add those those tabs on there for those brakes. Um, you know, just making it simple again for their end to be able to bolt everything up. So Nice. Well, that's great, man. I appreciate you coming into the studio slash garage mahal today. I'm glad that you were here in town. I'm glad I got to learn a lot about the uh, shifter and some other things like that. So I look forward to, uh, and, and you guys will see on the podcast, uh, I might end up with one of these shifters. So we'll put a little video of me getting the shifter installed in the carbon cap and give you guys a, a firsthand real world uh, comparison from one shifter to another. So, hey, yeah. I appreciate you for coming in. Thanks for coming. Uh, Thank you. And remember, guys, uh, go like and subscribe on our Facebook and our 
YouTube page. Also, subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. And again, I uh, want to thank uh, Kevin for coming in. It's Cool Rides Customs. And let's talk dubs. We'll see you guys later.